Our first lesson tonight, help. I have a baby, right? We, we spent a lot of time and we put a lot of effort in, as, as those of you who have gone through the process of giving birth, that's, that's a big event, right? And I know, I remember when my wife and I found out that we were expecting our first child, how exciting it was and how excited we were about everything. And as, as the father, there was a little mixture of excitement and fear for me at the same time, right? You're, you're excited, wow, we're going to have a baby, but now you're a little bit afraid. Oh, great, what do I do with this baby? And I think for a dad, maybe your feelings are a little bit different than for mom. And at least for me as a dad, it didn't hit me quite the same as it did her uh, for a little bit of time as she, I think, was uh, wrapping her arms around the reality of it a little bit sooner than I was uh, because this child was inside of her as opposed to me and I'm just from the outside looking in. But I remember when we went for that first ultrasound and they put that on there and we started looking and seeing those little images of the baby and it became very real for me at that moment as you realize this is, this is real, this is really going to happen. And we spent all kinds of time preparing. We Oh, we went to Babies R Us so many different times and shopped all the sales. I think before Trevor was born, we bought four different sets of sheets and, and comforters and things for the bed because, you know, what if we had a girl down the road so we needed a girl set, we needed a boy set, and, and I think they were on clearance or something, weren't they? And so we bought four of them just in case, you know, because they were like normally $200 sets and we got them for $20 or something. And so we bought four sets and we passed some along. And so you know, we spent all this time and effort preparing because it's an exciting thing for this birth. We went to, what, 12 weeks of classes, uh, two-hour classes on Sunday afternoons for 12 weeks to learn how this baby was going to go from inside of mommy to outside of mommy and how me as the dad is supposed to be a help in that process. And I remember the first few classes just thinking, what am I doing here? This is, this is really intense, you know. Isn't this her job? You know, she figures this out. And so you go through all of those things. And then, you know, for us, uh, the due date for Trevor came and went. He was due on September 10th. And uh, he wasn't born till September 21st, so 11 days overdue. Of course, all the excitement. We walked so many miles during that time. See, there's something about a pregnant woman at the very end. She gets this burst of energy that just completely runs her poor husband into the ground. Like, he, there's no way he can keep up with everything that's going on because she's nesting and preparing the house and cleaning and decorating. We had painted the room and did all that stuff. Of course, I had to paint because she didn't want to smell the paint, the baby and all that stuff. And uh, so we're getting everything just set and we walked and we walked and we walked trying to get this baby to come. And, and of course, by day six and seven overdue, she's online. What kind of tea can I drink and rub my toes just like this and do all these things trying to what anybody. And of course, everybody, all the helpful ladies with their recommendations. Oh, well, I did this or lay this way or do this. And that'll get the baby to come and day after day and of course then the doctor's going well if it doesn't come soon we're going to have to schedule to have this baby induced and Shandy's like no I'm, I'm ready we did 12 weeks of classes two hours a day we're going to do this the natural way we're not going to go through all of that and so day after day and finally day 11 well it was really day 10 when uh, when labor started and so what was it 34 hours or something like that of labor Shandy's a trooper and 
and then an hour of pushing, and little Trevor finally made his grand entrance into the world. Only wasn't so little, 10 pounds, 4 ounces, uh, 21 and a half inches long, and what, 14-inch head, I think. And so he was a big boy coming into the world, and it was very exciting. So I think, men, we can all stop for a moment and appreciate how much work the ladies go through to just bring these children into the world. But as you know, the process, the baby's born and your child and it's wonderful and you're putting him in different outfits or her in different outfits and you're changing their diaper all the time and mommy's learning how to nurse and all the things are happening and the nurses are coming in and out of the room. And then finally, after a day or two, if you have in the hospital, of course, if you have it at home, this happens even faster. But uh, after a day or two, then they send you home with this new little one. And I remember they wouldn't let Shandy walk out of the hospital. She has to be wheeled out in a wheelchair. Of course, she's been walking all around up to that point, but she's got to get in a wheelchair right out of the hospital. And of course, they wouldn't let me carry Trevor. He has to be strapped in his car seat and ride out on his cart out the door. And I'm thinking, well, when I get out there, you know, I'm going to be throwing him up in the air and do all that stuff. You know, I'm a dad. We're ready to do this stuff. And we get out there and we get him buckled in his seat and, and uh, they made sure everything was just right. And ready to drive away and you know the way I drove home was a lot different than I drove to the hospital you know you very go to the hospital you're in a hurry you're ready to go and get this baby born and then on the way home you're careful and you drive you're looking this way and that and then you get there to your house and you pull this baby out and I think at that moment it hits it hits you if it hasn't already help I've had a baby right now it's real we've done all this work and put all this time and all this effort into giving birth, but really, we've only just started. And I think in our culture today, and this is true in many different areas in our culture, it's true in marriages as well, we put lots of effort into the beginning of the thing, you know, all the planning that goes into a wedding, for example, and all the money that's spent. And while those are wonderful things, and not to take away from any of that, but the giving birth of, of that child is only the very beginning, and now there's the life. And what do we do with this baby that we have? Well, I want to read to you from Psalm 127 as we start out tonight. And I don't know. Is there a way to... Oh, you've got it. Perfect. Psalm 127. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture tonight. Psalm 127 says this, Except the Lord... Build the house, they labor in vain that build it. This verse is often used when churches are getting ready for a building project and they're going to build a big building and they say, God has to build this house and if he doesn't, we labor in vain. But let's think about it in the context of our own home. Unless God builds our house, we're wasting our time. That's what this says. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So unless God is protecting our city, this watchman who gets up in the night to see the enemy coming, he's really wasting his time. Verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies 
in the gate. Now, I agree if, if a church is going and building a building and doing something, we want God to be a part of it. But Psalm 127 is really dealing with the family. It's really dealing with the, the house that the Lord is building is our own house. It's our own home. It's our own family. And I think we can see several things tonight by way of introduction. The first one is that every child is a treasure. When God gives us a child, it is a treasure. He says in verse 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. This is a treasure. And I hope that in this group tonight that you all understand that. But the reality is we live in a world today, in a culture today, that does not value the life of children in many ways. We live in a world where, like for example, we had some friends just this week who were asking for prayer because she's pregnant with their first child and they were, do, they were doing an ultrasound and saw some issues with the baby's heart. And the doctor informed them that this child was going to have surgery as soon as he was born and he was going to be in, in the ICU for, for several weeks and would probably have a number of surgeries through his life. And with his particular heart condition, he may not live to adulthood. And we live in a culture where when those tests are run, the doctor will then come in and say, do you want to continue with this pregnancy? And folks, every child is a treasure. It is a gift from the Lord. Now, gifts sometimes come in different shapes and sizes. They, they sometimes look a little different. They don't all function exactly the same, right? Not, all, not every child is going to have the same cognitive ability or, or physical ability, but every child is a treasure. And if we're going to understand biblical parenting, we've got to understand it from God's perspective. That if God gives us a child, it's a gift from Him. And He may not give all of us children. Some people are unable to have children. Some people uh, are not married and so they don't have children. Other people, they're married, but God doesn't bless their marriage with children. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It's just God hasn't given them that particular gift. But if God has given you a child... It's a gift from the Lord. A child is a treasure. Secondly, I want us to understand that a child is not just a treasure, it's on loan from God. This is not just our child, this is God's child. He's the one that gave it to, gave it to us. Saw, or Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible actually talks about the prophet Jeremiah before he was even born. And it says there, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God had a plan and a purpose for Jeremiah's life before Jeremiah was even born. And take the name of your child that you have right now, or maybe some list somewhere of some imaginary child that you hope to have someday, right? And you could put their name in that blank and say, God has a plan. It, it may be to be a prophet. It may not be to be a prophet, but he has a plan for each and every child's life. This child that God has given me or that God has given you is on loan from him. And this is very important to remember because ownership is, is important, isn't it? We have to understand ownership because when we understand the ownership of a thing, we understand better how it should be treated and how it should be valued, right? If something is yours, you treat it a certain way. If it's someone else's, 
It's a certain, you treat it a certain way. Now, if you th- realize that this child is ultimately God's and he's loaned it to you, then you're going to treat this child differently, or you should, because ultimately your child is not just your own. And then thirdly, parenting requires more than intuition. And Shandy was asking me this afternoon as, as I was looking over the notes again for tonight. She said, what's the thing that's really convicting to you from this lesson that you're going to teach tonight? I said, it's this, this point. The parenting requires more than intuition. I was, I'm thankful to have grown up in a good home with parents who love me. They still love me and they're still here. But I parent, I know, just like you probably parent, a lot like your parents parented you. That's kind of natural for people to do. But it's easy for me to fall back on that and say, well, my parents did it this way, so I should do it this way, and not go back to God's Word and say, what does the Bible say? Right? This is not to say my parents did it wrong and I need to do it differently than them. But it's easy just to live by what feels right to us and not really know what is right from God's Word. And so that's what we're going to strive to do over the next several weeks is look at God's Word to find out what is right. Again, Psalm 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Unless God is the one that does it, we are doing it in vain. And then you can look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. The Bible says it's talking about the gifts that come from God. And it says, let me get turned over there, Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So what's his comparison, right? The one who is building their house on a rock is the same as what? It's the man that what? What is he doing? The Bible's given us an illustration here. Right, he's wise. He's taking, notice he says, who hears the sayings of mine, right? Here's what God is saying and does them, right? So if you hear what God says and you do what God says, the Bible says you're like a, a wise man who went and built his house on a good, strong foundation, a rock. But he said, also, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, verse 26, and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We talked about storms this morning, right? And now Jesus is with us in the storm. Storms come in life, and and there's going to be storms in your family, and and there's going to be storms in the process of raising children. It's a difficult process. So our little tagline on the title, the, the, the most dangerous job on earth, right? Parenting. But there are going to be storms that come. And if our, if our family, if the way that we're parenting our children is not founded upon the truth of God's word and obeying what it says, then we're like a man building on a, on a bunch of sand. And when that big storm comes, that house is going to be washed away. So our child, each child, is a treasure from God. Each child is something that God loans to us, or we have the responsibility to steward. And then parenting requires more than intuition. 
So, we've had this baby. We need some help. What are we going to do? Well, I want to give you now a practical blueprint for a Christian home. A practical blueprint for a Christian home. What, what should a home look like? What is important? How do we build this home? And I should have had a whiteboard or something up here to draw this. So you just have to imagine it in your mind. Okay, we'll start off first with the foundation. The foundation of scriptural truth. Right? If we're going to build a house, we want to lay a good foundation. Right? That's the first step in building a good house. Laying a good foundation. The foundation of scriptural truth. Uh, Turn over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The first part of that verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God's Word should fill everything that we do. And there's a specific admonition to parents in that other passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 and 7. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6 and 7. And if you've gone through the uh, continue book, you'll see this is referenced in talking about the preservation of God's Word in lesson number one. But Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, verse 7, and thou shalt teach them unto thy children. Teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So when should we be teaching our children God's word? All the time, right? This is talking about a parent who's just talking about the things of God all the time, right? So... For many of us, right, church is something we kind of compartmentalize, right? We have church time and then we have the rest of our life. And what this is teaching us, that if we're going to be a godly parent, that God wants to be in everything that we do. So we get up in the morning. Hey, kids, good morning. Let's have breakfast. Let's pray. God gave us this food. We can thank God for the food that he gave us. Hey, kids, I was reading in my Bible this morning. Here's a verse that God showed me. We go throughout our day, kids are heading out the door to go to school, or maybe they're too little to go to school, they're playing around the house, and maybe your house might be like our house. We, we have some songs playing that have scripture verses in them, or, or teaching Bible truths in them. We're, we're trying to fill their heads with God's word all the time. Hey, it's, it's lunchtime, let's all come have lunch. Oh, we're, we're fighting, right? We're having an issue. Well... Bible tells us, be ye kind one to another. Children, you're not being kind one to another. Let's be kind because the Bible says to be kind. <coughs> Going throughout the day, the afternoon, kids are coming home from their school perhaps and they have homework that needs to be done and they want to go play and you're teaching them. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. <coughs> Bible says being lazy is not a good thing. Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. You know what, boys and girls, we could go look at the ants and See how hard they work to build their house. And the Bible says they're doing that so they're prepared for the winter time. And, and children, it's important to prepare yourself and to work hard and to study and to learn and apply yourself. And all throughout the day, right? When we sit down, when we rise up, when we lie down, when we eat, everything we're doing, it ought to just be coming out of us. But parents and future parents, that's something that means we have to be constantly filling ourselves with God's Word. Because what you're full of is what will come out of you, right? 
If you're full of anger, anger comes out, every little thing that happens. If you're full of God's Word, then every little thing, you've got Scripture for that. And that only comes by work, right? It only comes through effort to fill yourself up with God's Word and God's mind on things. And we all know parenting is, is a hard thing, right? You're going to be very tired if you're not already. It's a tiring thing to do. But it doesn't have to be tiresome, right? It's tiring, it wears us out, but we need to find our strength in the Lord, right? So that instead of being worn out and ready to quit, we continue to stay faithful. We remember, wait a minute, this child is a gift from God. So when I'm tired, this is, this is God's gift to me. And it's on loan to me, if you will. And I'm to raise this child to then go on and serve the Lord. We'll get into that in a minute, because at the end of Psalm 127, he talks about how children are like arrows in the hand of an archer, right? Being shot out. God is preparing these children to go out into this world and to do something special for Him. He's got a plan for their life. But God's Word needs to fill us. It's got to be the foundation of our home. Dads, I would really challenge you about this. My wife is good about this. She's, she is very careful about these things. But as a dad, you can get busy. You run around doing your things. And you forget, I need to help lay this foundation of my home to be full of Scripture, right? You're going to come home from work, perhaps. You're going to be tired. You're going to be worn out. And you're just going to want to sit and do something else. But remember, we've got to keep laying that scriptural foundation uh, in our home. And then the second part of this foundation, then, is a foundation of loving acceptance. Right? Another, another layer, if you will, to this foundation. Because as we layer, as we build this foundation, we've got scriptural truth. But truth without love doesn't go very far, does it? You can be really right and still be really wrong, right? Because of the way that you present it. So if we're laying this foundation in truth, we also need to add to this foundation loving acceptance. 1 Thessalonians 2.7. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. You're probably reading it, and I'm still looking it up. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. This is talking about a mother caring for her children, being gentle. This is something Paul the Apostle is talking to the church at Thessalonica and how he treated them, how he cared for them. He says, I'm doing this like a mother who cherishes her child. Somebody said once, rules without relationships breed rebellion. Right? You try to have rules and standards, and this is how it's going to work in our home. But if there's no relationship there, it turns into rebellion. The Bible tells us as, as dads, Ephesians chapter 6, fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Right? We can do that when we're full of rules and correction, but there's no love. So this foundation of scriptural authority, scriptural truth, that God's Word has the answer. See, what's wonderful is when your children are little, as children, they have, their faith is a lot better than often our faith as adults. And they're ready to trust you. They're ready to trust what you have to say because you're their parent. And you have the opportunity to point them to Christ at a young age by laying this foundation of scriptural truth, by then adding this foundation of loving acceptance. And then, of course, we're building a home. We've got a good foundation. Now we've got to put up some walls, right? So the pillar or wall of time 
in nurture. Time in nurture. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says it this way. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You could probably spell nurture this way, T-I-M-E, right? Time. It takes time to nurture something. To nurture something is to, is to help it to grow, right? To give it what it needs to grow. And you think of nurturing a plant, right? You're just bringing it along and you're, you're watering it carefully. You're weeding it carefully. You're tying it up so that it grows in the right direction, does the right things. Nurture takes time. And fathers, he's addressing us specifically in this verse because I think as dads, sometimes we are less likely to spend time with our children. Mothers, some of it's automatic, it's built in, because especially when that child's a newborn, the mother is the source of food, right? And that's where baby's spending a lot of time. Often, mommy is the one waking up in the middle of the night and holding that child and spending time with it and, and forming that bond with that child because she's the one that gave birth to it. And as dads, we can sometimes get frustrated. Well, this child has really messed up my life, you know. It's taken a lot of my wife's attention. Now she's not so focused on meeting my needs because she's meeting the needs of this little child. And that's frustrating because we're selfish, right? Well, I want this and she needs to take care of me. Listen, you're in this together. God's given this child to both parents. And while obviously the mother is the one that physically gave birth, the father has a very important role in raising this child. There's a pillar of time in nurture. If we don't spend time with our children, lots of time with our children, it's really difficult to raise them as God wants them to be raised. Because think about it this way. I'll, maybe this illustration makes sense to you. In the reality of a church, right? We spend an hour, two, maybe three hours a week in church for, for most of us. How many hours a week do we spend at school or at work or at home? Many, many, many hundreds of hours compared to that, right? If you add up all those other things. And so how can a little bit of time at church make a difference in everything else? It doesn't unless we take what we're learning here and we put it into everything else that we're doing. I have, was a youth pastor for a number of years and would have teenagers come and and I know from having conversations with some of their parents, they were hoping that by putting their kid in church, a youth group for an hour a week, or coming to a youth activity a couple times a month, that was going to somehow fix all their kid's problem. Well, God does have the answers. But if that child is not taking that truth and getting it put into all areas of their life, they're still going to struggle. It's time. It just takes time. Some of you have been... Uh, in our Bible study that we're doing, this continue Bible study. It takes a lot of time to go through that. I sat, there's a guy I'm going through with it right now. Each week we meet and we, we talk about it. Last week we spent three hours together. So that's a lot of time. Yes, because it's important, but it takes time. A baby Christian, it takes a lot of time for them to grow. Your little child, it takes a lot of time for them to grow. I remember there was somebody that I was talking to about this Bible study we were going through, and they're like, wow, that's a lot of time to invest. And I said, well, how much time are you going to invest in your child from the time that they're born until they're 18? Hopefully thousands of hours, right? Lots and lots and lots of time. If we're going to build this house strong, it, it just takes time. And this is one thing my wife and I have to encourage ourselves with, because sometimes when you look at your children, you say, oh boy, they have so many problems. 
How are, we, how are we ever going to get there? Keep spending time. Keep teaching them the truth. Keep giving them the scriptural authority and, and keep giving them the love that they need, the nurture, and keep spending time with them. And often we find it encouraging then to look back and say, you know what? We are kind of frustrated with this, but it is better than it was six months ago. It is better than it was a year ago. And especially, I think of Matt and Cindy's, you're going to have little baby Olivia here in just a few weeks, and she's going to be changing and growing so fast because that's what babies do. That's what Andrew's doing already. I saw him over there tonight picking up his head, and now JJ's about ready to get down and run across the floor, it looks like, and he's just a few months old. They just change so fast, don't they? They grow up, and, and you'll go through stages where you're really frustrated and things are hard, and why can't they seem to get this? And then a few months later, you realize, oh, yeah, that just changed. It went away. How did it go so fast? It just does. They grow up so fast. But as parents, we can get fixated on that one little struggle, that one little thing, and we get frustrated. God wants to be faithful. Keep taking time. Keep spending time with those children. Keep nurturing that child, helping them to grow. Pillar of time and nurture. And D, their pillar of loving admonition. The same verse, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To admonish, right, means to tell somebody what they should do. I had uh, several different parents along the way when I was a youth pastor call me and say, my teenager doesn't want to do such and such, you fill in the blank. Is it okay for me to tell them what to do and make them do that? And I said, if teenagers knew everything they needed to know, had all, all of their life together, God wouldn't have given them parents. He gave them parents to admonish them and tell them what they need to know. Now I realize, and you know this probably about me too, I don't know everything. You're not going to always have the perfect answer, but you're a little bit further down the road than they are. And you can go to God's Word and you can look for the answer. You can talk to somebody else who can encourage you. We need to be willing to admonish our children. Son, daughter, that's not right. And this is what the Bible says. That goes right back to that right scriptural foundation. And as we admonish them, as we tell them what is right, we can still do it in love, can't we? The Bible says to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Pillar of loving admonition. So we're building our house. We have a foundation of scriptural authority. We add to that foundation the loving acceptance. We've added the pillar of time and nurture and the other pillar of loving admonition. So let's add a roof on top. Maybe you're drawing a picture in your notes. If so, if that helps you. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Biblical authority. Parents, why do you have authority over your children? Well, they were born to me. No, because God gave it to you. Children, why should you obey your parents? Because ultimately, it's how you obey God. Biblical authority. And if our home doesn't have that roof, if you will, of biblical authority, it can cause a lot of problems. And here's the wonderful thing about a roof, right? A roof protects you from the rain, doesn't it? It pr protects you from the elements, the sun and, and the cold and all those things. A good roof is important on a house. And when we understand biblical authority as being our roof, it protects us from a lot of things. See, parents, you're not going to have all the right answers, and you're going to mess up sometimes. There'll be times you, have to, you do wrong, and 
and you need to come and apologize to your children. Kids, forgive me. I lost it. I blew it. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. But kids, I'm, my desire is to please God and serve God. So you're, you're finding your protection, if you will, under that biblical authority of ultimately it's not me, it's God. And I'm not trying to point my children just to me. Hey, grow up to be like me. No, I'm trying to help them grow up to be like God. And I'm keeping the proper biblical authority structure in place. And when we do that, there's, there's protection for you as a parent. Because you're hiding behind, if you will, or hiding under the rooftop of biblical authority. Biblical authority. So a practical blueprint for a Christian home. I want to take just a minute now and go through... Four different parenting styles that I think can fit into some of what we just talked about. There's a lot of different kinds of people, different personalities and things. And I think these, all of us would probably find ourselves, maybe not fully in one of these categories, but maybe partially in one. But I think we could probably see ourselves in one of these four or a couple of these. The first one, neglectful. Right? A, a neglectful parent would be low in love, low in control. They just let their child do whatever they want. There's no time, right? No, no nurture. There's no admonition of this child. This child's just running loose. There's no foundation of scriptural truth. There's no loving acceptance. There's no biblical authority. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 15, the child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. If you neglect your children, they will bring you to shame. It's just the way it is. Children need time. I think we would all agree, this is what we shouldn't be. And yet, if we allow other things to crowd out the important things in our life, we can find ourselves, at least at times, I think perhaps in this area of neglectful, Parenting, this would be low in love, low in control. We've just left this child to himself. This kid is raising himself. That's a bad thing. Children are not meant to raise themselves. TVs are not good nannies, right? And while there may be a situation in your home where you need to use a daycare or something like that to help or a babysitter, that's fine. But... Make sure you as the parent are the main one. The main one's raising this child. God gave them to you, right? He didn't give them to the school. He didn't give them to the daycare. He gave them to the parents. So if you have to put them in daycare so that you can go work and earn a living and provide for this child, that's okay. But boy, when you get home, invest that time in them. Spend time with them. Encourage them. Teach them truth. Do what you have to do. And if you can... Do it so you can be home with them more. I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's worth it to if you have to sacrifice some financially so that you can be home with that child, especially when they're really small. It's so important. I realize that's not possible for everybody. And I, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that a, that a father or a mother cannot work and provide for their family. That, that's fine. And you shouldn't feel guilty if that's the position that you're in. But I do think it's important Right? Just from a standpoint of not leaving our children to themselves, to spend as much time as we possibly can with them. It's so important. And you don't get any do-overs. Do right? your, your children, you have them, and then they grow up. Now, I'm thankful that children, while we don't maybe get do-overs, st they're still resilient. 
So yes, you will mess up. I've messed up many times. And, and, and there's still hope, right? It's not, oh man, I messed up and that's it. They're gone. No, there's still opportunities to continue to love them and help them. But a neglectful parenting style or a second style that I think a lot of people fall into is what we would call a permissive parenting style. A permissive parenting style. This is one that would be high in love or, and low in control. High in love and low in control. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20 says this, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, a lot of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. And he was writing it to his son. Who was his son? Rehoboam, if you know your Bible um, timeline of the different kings of Israel. Solomon, it was David, and then Solomon, and then Rehoboam. Now, does anybody know anything about Rehoboam? He wasn't a good king. He, he didn't follow in the ways of his father. Perhaps it was because Solomon was permissive, right? He's obviously telling him the right stuff to do. There's lots of love, but there wasn't much control. He, could, he may have been telling him the right stuff, but he was allowing him to live how he wanted. And when Rehoboam became king, he was a very awful king. In fact, he's the one that presided over the division of the nation of Israel. And they were divided because those ten northern tribes said, we're not going to follow this guy. This guy just wants to tax us more. He wants to take advantage of us. He wants to use us because he, he just has this mentality that he owns it all and he's the king and he's going to do what he wants. He doesn't care about us. The permissive parent. And then the third style that I'll mention is the authoritarian, right? This is somebody who's low in love, but high in control, right? It's all about controlling this child, but maybe not as loving as we should be. I already referenced the passage several times that Ephesians 6 forces, and fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. This is what happens, dads, when we try to control our children, but we don't spend the loving, nurturing time with them that they require. Yes, our children need to be told what to do. But if we don't have a relationship, right, it goes back to the saying, rules without relationships breed rebellion. Help, I've had a child. What am I going to do now with this child? Well, we need to develop a home that has a biblical foundation with loving acceptance. We need to spend time with them, nurture our children. This loving admonition, admonish them, tell them what they need to know, but in a loving way, and then put it all under a biblical authority framework, a rooftop of biblical authority. And our final parenting style, and we could call this different things, the word that I'll use tonight is authoritative, but this is what, or we could call it balanced, right? This is someone who's high in love and high in control, right? And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a, that's a father who loves his child, high in love, but he's also admonishing his child. There's, some, there's a high amount of control there too. To say, son, this is right. Daughter, this is right. This is wrong. This is what you should be doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. 
right? Not controlling in a bad sense, right? That's not what I'm trying to say, like manipulative. That's not the kind of control it's talking about. But control in the sense of this is a direction and this is where we need to go and this is what the Bible says, right? And then Psalm 103, verse 13, says this, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Fathers should have pity, right, in a good sense, right? Loving their children and caring for their needs. God does the same thing for us. He sees us where we're at, and he loves us. Jesus went to those men in the storm, right? And he was willing to save them and care for them. Fathers, we need to do the same thing for our children. Mothers, we need to do the same thing for our children. Being full of love towards our children and the way we respond to them but also full of admonition to them, to give them what the Bible says. And then let's go back to Psalm 127 as we finish up the teaching time. And I've got a few questions for us just to discuss at the end. Arrows into the future. I referenced it earlier, verse 4. He says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. God has given you these children, or this child, or he may someday give you children. And they, the Bible says, are like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Now, I'm not the best archer in the world. But as a boy, I sure enjoyed watching the Robin Hood cartoon, maybe like some of you did too, right? Where he could just shoot the bullseye every time on the target, and he could do all this amazing stuff with his bow and arrow. Well, if you think about it, in the old days when they fought with bows and arrows and swords and shields, the archers were incredibly important to the army. Why? Well, the archer could stand back from the fight, and the archer could launch arrows into the fight much further than he could go, much faster than he could go on, his, on foot, right, or even on horseback. That arrow, one archer could fire many arrows, right? So he could have a great impact in a, in a large direction. That's why it says here, happy is he that has his quiver full of them. If you've got lots of arrows, you can do lots of damage to the enemy. Now, who's our enemy as Christians? Well, it's Satan. And he, he's fighting against us. He's fighting against God in this world. And he's trying to overcome. But he says, when we have children, if God's given us a child, we have the opportunity to launch this child out, if you will, like an arrow that can do wonderful things for the work of the Lord. Now think about an arrow. It needs to be sharp, doesn't it? It needs to be tuned properly. That arrow's crooked. It's not going to fly straight. If the man who's firing the arrow doesn't know how to fire the arrow very straight and he shoots it into the ground, he's not going to help it very much. He needs to launch that arrow up and out and aimed in the right direction. So there's a lot of wonderful ideas in this illustration for us to take when it comes to parenting. That's why it can't just be done by intuition. Well, how do I feel about it today? Right? Or, or what's the latest uh, thing that everybody's telling me to do? We have to go back to what does God say for me to do? Just like I was talking about this morning about finding God's will for your life and spending time praying and worshiping God, right? Parents spend a lot of time in prayer. Parents need to spend a lot of time in prayer for their child. God, give me wisdom with this child. God, 
Help us to know how to raise this child. Lord, help this child to understand and trust you as their Savior at a young age. God, help us to have wisdom when this child begins to show rebellion in whatever area it might be, to know how to lovingly but firmly bring them back to the truth so that they'll follow and go where you want them to go. God, I, I, somehow I'm supposed to train this arrow to be straight and be sharp and be effective. And boy, God, this, this little one right now kind of feels like a crooked stick, you know. How do, how do I straighten it out and tune it and sharpen it where it needs to go? Shandy and I are in that stage right now. Once we are, when you've got elementary kids, you've got and little ones, preschool, and we've got a lot of kind of gangly, crooked things, and you're going, how's this going? And we look at our children, we see so much potential. But we want to see that potential be realized, right? We want to see them go out and do things. We have dreams and we have goals for our kids. And, and we, we, they're already getting dreams and goals for themselves. That's exciting things. But that's part of parenting, isn't it? Helping to launch them out. Giving them a vision of what could be, right? Painting that picture for them. Oh, kids, you could do this for the Lord. You could go here. You could serve God in this way. I want, I'm working hard to raise my boys. I don't want them to be afraid of doing anything for God. If God calls you to do it, you can do it with the Lord's help. Yes, because God's helping you, right? I, I want them to be excited about that. Not say, well, you know, but it's different. Hey, if it's different, that's okay, right? There's some arrows that need to be launched in some different directions sometime. But they also need to know what's true, right? How to think for themselves. How to stand up in a world. We have conversations, my boy, older two especially, we have conversations all the time about things like, Dad, why don't we do, fill in the blank, why don't we do such and such? Why don't we play the same games uh, video games that some of the other kids play, or why don't we go to these places that some of the other kids play? I said, well, finally one day I just said, boys, I'm not raising you to be like all the other kids. I want you to be different. I want you to do something different. I don't want the same outcome for you that many, many children in our culture are getting. Parents, if we want something different for our children, we have to raise them differently. We have to shape that arrow in a different way. An army that is preparing for battle to win prepares much differently than an army that's just sitting back and not really caring about the battle. But as Christians, we know we're in a battle. We're in a world that doesn't like us. They hate God. And I know there's nice people out there, but there's a lot of awful people out there that want to take advantage of you and take advantage of your children. And as a parent, that can be a really scary place to live, right? Well, what are... What do we do? But God doesn't want us to live in fear, right? We talked about that this morning. So, so what do we do? Well, scriptural authority. God's given us all the answers. Got to go back to it. How am I going to get this arrow where it needs to go? How am I going to launch it out? Well, God's going to have to help it. But God will give us the wisdom as we need it to go. They are arrows into the future, being able to launch them out to do wonderful things for the cause of Christ. And we... As parents, in a sense, some of you may be in the stage where you're ready, you're, you've been launching arrows out and they're already going. And think about that too. When you launch an arrow, you can't chase it back and grab it and pull it back in very well, can you? It's kind of gone. And that's a scary thing too as a parent because now you kind of lose that control. And they're out there and what you've done is done and the decisions they've made have been made. And you, and you can't go back and take it all in and do it over again. 
And we'll go into that some in a later week here. In a, in a few weeks, we're going to deal with that. What about the kids that have gone on? Help, my, my child is, is gone and they're grown, but they're not doing what I want them to do. What do I do now as a parent? God still has answers for you too as a parent. I'm not trying to beat you down by any sense, but just an encouragement to those who your children are in the home and they're young and they're with you. This is the time that you can straighten that arrow and sharpen that arrow because when that day comes and that arrow's launched, it's kind of launched. You can't go back and catch it and stick it back in. Well, let me redo that and send it over again. So in our homes, a biblical foundation, scriptural foundation, loving acceptance, nurture, admonition, and biblical authority.